You know, the world right now is a really unsettled place. And for such a time as this, women play a most important role in history as peacemakers. The goal of Ladies of Liberty Sound Off is to affect the lives of women in an empowering way through discussion of important issues of the day. So, are you ready? The Ladies of Liberty are ready to sound off. Welcome to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. And I want to sound off today first about the elections. I mean, elections are upcoming. It's on everybody's mind. It's on everybody's lips. Uh, the media is involved. The politicians are involved. The public's involved. We're all involved. So let's talk a little bit about that. And we've seen a lot of polls. Some polls say that we're going to have a big red wave. Other polls say that there's two thirds of a chance that uh, the Senate will remain in Democratic hands. And I want to know what you ladies think. And I want to talk about what are the issues that are predominantly on voters' minds, Rebecca? Well, um, I've read a bunch of polls too. Um, the ones that I've read lately indicate uh, that Republicans have a you know have a fair shot at winning back the Senate as well as the House. Um, but again, nobody really does know. But what I what I have seen is that um, the media narrative about abortion being a driving issue for so many people, particularly in swing states, doesn't seem to be bearing out in the polls in, in the way I'm seeing them. Um, you know, I think I saw one in New York state where I live. Um, you know, New York's a very blue state, obviously. And um, when asked about prioritizing their issues, I think abortion came in at number seven, right? So the, the obvious issues about the um, economy, and inflation and even immigration and other things like that are certainly crime, are certainly um, top of people's lists. And especially now as inflation is getting worse and prices are going up, it's it's really sort of inescapable and it's edging out everything else. But I think the mistake people made in discussing the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade was that I'm sure it did animate pro-choice women in particular on the left, but you know, women are a big population and they're about split on the issue of abortion. So there are almost as many women on the pro-life side as on the pro-choice side. And so they'd be activated too. Um, so I think, you know, we, we underestimated the power of women on the right who are pro-life uh, and their interest in this issue. And we might've overbaked into the numbers, um, the sort of people who became animated by the pro-choice um, conversation. They might have already been baked into activists on the left. Um, you know, I'm not a professional pollster, but it sort of seems to me like this, this has been overplayed by the left in terms of its, um, not that it won't drive more people to the polls than maybe would have before, but I just don't see it as overcoming the larger issue, the much more important and immediate issue of um, inflation, the economy, and then crime. I want to ask you real quick, um, Rebecca, uh, the governor's race in New York. So I was speaking with Arit the other day, right here on Ladies of Liberty, and she feels that um, it, it's it's a possibility that uh, Governor Hochul may not make yeah. it. It's, it's sort of, uh, I think I'm sometimes I'm afraid, <laughs> I'm superstitious almost to to say how excited I am about Lee Zeldin's prospects here, 
because it's so unbelievable. And it would be such an earthquake if uh, New York elected a Republican governor again. Um, but he is within very realistic striking distance. I think the last poll was just, he's just six points behind. Um, a, a typical incumbent like Hochul should be 20 points ahead. So there's a lot of hope just in that that gap itself and that his fundraising is increasing right now too. Um, and she's terrible and everybody knows it. And she's terrible on the issues that matter the most when you poll New Yorkers, right? Crime and her bail reform stance and all those things are, are sort of becoming more well-known and those really are the things that people are, are caring about. And just as an aside, this has nothing to do with abortion or, or the economy or anything, but you know, a particular interest of mine is that Hochul um, you know, and the state legislature used COVID, you know, the quote health emergency as an opportunity to pass the legislation. They passed it in New York state that gave them broad rights to um, isolate and quarantine people at will with no due process. Um, luckily, uh, a young uh, lawyer took up the case and got it struck down by, uh, a, I think it was a federal judge, I don't remember which which court struck it down, but so they stopped the madness. It was, it was an unbelievable overreach, uh, breach of people's constitutional rights under the guise of protecting people from COVID or from health emergencies generally. Um, but Hochul has, issued an intent to appeal. And from what I understand, if she wins in November, she's going to appeal that decision and potentially you know, win, which would mean that in the state of New York and then other states would follow, uh, the state could just, under the guise of anything that they call a health emergency, could you know, lock people away. Um, and, and again, the language was so broad, so as to be frightening. Um, it could be so China. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it actually sort of boggles the mind that this could pass in, in the United States of America, but I guess nothing should shock us anymore. But, you know, the implications of having her as our governor um, are just like, they reach far beyond, um, you know, getting hit over the head when you're on the subway, which is bad enough. Uh, but it's, it's really a larger question of, of the state itself and its overreach and its power. And Kathy Hochul is, um, you know, dangerous to those of us who care about just basic liberty. So um, I have high hopes um, for Lee Zeldin. I'm, I'm not sort of uh, banking on it yet, but, um, you know, there's a month or so left and I think he could absolutely win. Yeah, we can only hope so. Uh, and and hopefully whatever goes on there will bleed over into California because we're suffering the same uh the same potential out here. Of course, um, I, I think Newsom hasn't ever given up his emergency powers. Um, he's still uh, running ramshod over the whole process. And we have a far way to go to get enough legislators, uh, uh, conservative legislation in, in place to, to make a huge difference. But we're very, very hopeful that we flip enough seats to break up the supermajority out here which at least start giving a little bit of a voice to, uh, to you know something else besides this echo chamber that's been that's running California into, off the cliff out here. But um, I, you know our Prop One named you know accordingly got written right after Roe v. Wade was reversed, and of course uh, California has a abortion law making it legal up to viability, uh, specifically stating that it is something between the 
uh, pregnant mother and the doctor to to uh, uh, determine about the health of the mother, et cetera, et cetera. But this Prop 1 is uh, piggy banked with huge bills that have also gone through, putting millions and millions into uh, billboard campaigns in other states that have uh, prohibited abortion, saying, come to California, we'll pay for it. And of course, that's all on the California taxpayer uh, burden, as well as the fact that it's rewritten, rewritten the note, put it in our constitution to say that it's uh, up until, uh, up until you know, when, uh, abortion on demand and up until birth. And most people, even the pro-lifers, aren't for that kind of unregulated, uh, you know, unmitigated uh, uh, interpretation of, uh, of uh, an abortion. So it'll be interesting to see how California responds to it if they get enough uh, education out there so people understand it's, it's already on the books. We're, your, your rights are, 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 are safe under existing, existing law. Um, emboldening this into a California constitution and, and upending all regulation on the industry um, and creating this huge financial pipeline into Planned Parenthood is just, it's just a, a frightening overreach and overuse of taxpayer dollars. It's, it's, it's really scary. And I think a lot of people, like you're saying, are going to have that knee-jerk reaction to it um, when it's on the ballot like this. For candidates, I totally agree with you. It is not a kitchen table issue. It's not a, it's not a, I think people are gonna be voting with their wallets. It's, it's too extreme what's happened. The, the difference in uh, 2019 and the economy then and the price of bread and milk and gas and everything else that we, that we touch in our lives, it's such a disparity, such a difference, glaring difference to what we're dealing with now uh, some of these other issues are not going to be uh, on the forefront of people's uh, of the ca of the campaign speeches. You, you know, know I, I agree with you that they're not going to be on the forefront, um, and that the economy is going to be on the forefront. And for us in the southern states, the immigration is definitely going to be on the forefront because we are seriously, seriously affected uh, by it. But you know, in California, where you have gas, a friend of mine just sent me uh, pictures of the gas over $7 a gallon uh, in Central California. It's, it's just absolutely crazy. And you think of all the people driving to work and how much that affects their lives, not to mention the price of food. I mean, I'm, I am in shock every time I go to the grocery store, even in Texas, that, that the food is so expensive. So I, I do think it's going to be the economy. But, you know, California and even New York, which is really interesting because we have people from the, the, the left coast, the right coast and Central America here on the show today. And we all have, you know, a, a little bit different perspective on things. But in my perspective from on the left coast and the right coast, I, it just doesn't seem to matter what happens to either of you with New York, with the crime, California, with uh, Newsom and his serious governmental overreach on people and, and trying to uh, just absolutely control the population there is, is just so invasive and intrusive to my mind, yet they continue to reelect him in a landslide 
And I, I really hope, Rebecca, you're right with Governor Hochul because she is she is a disaster. And I, I actually think Eric Adams is a disaster too. I'm not sure how you feel about him in New York. Um, it seems like the people I talk to, some people uh, feel the way I do and other people want to give him a chance. But I'll, I'll tell you, from my knowledge um, there in New York, he was not well liked when he was in the police department. He wasn't well respected. He wasn't a street officer. Um, and he, he he seems to like going to parties more than he likes, uh, you know, really running the city and taking care of those subway things. That the crime that I have seen videos of in New York is so horrifying to me. I, I just can't imagine how you even leave your house there. So this is the time for us to make changes, right? This is the time for all of us in all of our states to, to try to get something done. And I, I think that we're going to get the House back for sure. Not really sure about the Senate. I, I really, really hope that we take as much power away from Joe Biden as we possibly can in this election because the disaster that he's created in this country with the... Um, well, with the inflation, with the gas prices, with our um, our enemies, you know, with with what's happening in the world, with oh gosh, you you just you could you just name it, and it's the stock market. I mean, everything has gone downhill through this pre presidency, and we we have got to stop the bleeding in this country. Is it's just absolutely horrific to me, all of the things that are happening. And, and then you throw in things like our military, who is so unready to fight a war, which we, we are on the verge of every single day. And, and they're worried about the pronouns that they use. And they're worried about uh, getting guys out of the military for, for not having a vaccination, even though they're not supposed to do that anymore. They are doing it. They're not giving them the equipment that they need to fight with and to work with and and it's dumbed down cheap equipment uh i have i have people that i know that are in the military right now that say the helmets two two of his friends were killed recently in uh, the middle east by being shot at and and the bullet going right through the helmet so he was asking for money for his birthday of uh you know, so that he could buy himself a bulletproof helmet, which our military should be giving to our soldiers. It's it's just so scary to me what has happened in the last two years, and even more scary that we still have two years left. So election-wise, um, I think I agree with both of you that the economy is the biggest issue, and that's going to drive a lot of people to the polls. And I'm hoping that immigration is too, although it seems like that's only a really big deal on the Southern states. It, I, I'm not seeing it polling the way I would think it would poll. Um, but I don't know what else is important in, in here for people to know that uh, besides getting out to vote and making sure that you, you do get out and hopefully in person, because that would be the best way so that there's no fraud able to be happened with your ballot. Well, I think that, you know, that what you said about New York, um, look, it resonates. I live here and I live in the city and um, I have two kids and 
there are a lot of things I don't let them do and a lot of things I don't do that I, you know, five years ago I would have done without thinking about like walking down a side street after dark. You know, a lot of my women friends say this now. After dark, if you have to walk, you know, pick your kid up from basketball practice 10 blocks away, um, you know, you don't walk down a side street at night anymore. You walk up to a major, you know, cross street like 72nd where it's well lit and there's foot traffic and you walk across and then down and then over. You sort of go out of your way so as to avoid certain streets because they're isolated and dark. And that's a thing that just literally wouldn't have crossed my mind. Um, a few years ago. So the sensitivity to crime, even if you haven't been the victim of it, you certainly see it and everybody is aware of it. And I think that's sort of going to be helpful in New York, you know, messaging to a person like Zeldin, where you're right, Linda, like it sort of seems like no matter what the left does to this state, um, it's a team sport and people still vote for their team. But this issue sort of strikes me as the thing that might maybe get us across the line because you know, it also mitigates um, the sort of passion around the abortion issue because um, what you're really gunning for is a population of women, left-leaning, typically women. And so for them, while abortion may be animating, so is the idea that they can't take the subway to work anymore or walk down side streets or send their daughters out at night with their friends for dinner without fearing for their lives. So that might sort of um, get people who would typically just vote along party lines to maybe in this case, make a switch. And I think that's where a lot of the energy is gonna be placed in terms of um, the campaign here for Zeldin is sort of going after women voters who you might've thought would have been in the bag for the left, but because of this particular issue, and, and yes, it's true also that Eric Adams has done almost nothing. He, sometimes he says the right things about crime and sometimes he puts extra people in uniform in the subway, but they're just people that were pulled off desks, untrained police officers, administrators that he dresses up as policemen and puts in the subway stations, but he doesn't do anything to stop it. Um, so I think for New Yorkers, I'm sure that um, the economy and inflation is number one, but I'm pretty sure that, that crime will be like a tipping point kind of issue that we can use to help people kind of um, like let go of this team sport thing, at least for this cycle, and recognize that we need change. Listen to the Ladies of Liberty sound off on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, 
you'll be ready for what's next. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Welcome back to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. And I'm going to start this segment in a little bit different way. And I'm going to throw this to Jean Llewellyn. Jean, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, wh where you live and what you do for a living. Sure, I'm in California, just north of Los Angeles in Ventura County. Um, I am a VP of programs for the Republican Women Federated of Westlake Village. Um, I have two uh, mid-20 children, uh, getting them launched into their lives, uh, which is always a interesting pursuit. And uh, I am uh, constantly being open to reinventing myself and my careers and my in my uh, my work related life. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, and uh, right now in a transition, looking at something very new and exciting for this next chapter of my life. And very happy to be a part of the show today. And Rebecca, um, yeah, I live in New York City. I'm the mother of twin fifteen year olds going on sixteen. They're in high school. Um, I spend most of my work life in um, philanthropy, um, and now I am a columnist at the New York Sun, which is um, the oldest newspaper in New York, actually, it's just relaunched this past year. I have a column there called The Cocktail Party Contrarian, and I've been writing um, some op-ed pieces for, some opinion pieces for the Wall Street Journal and other publications, and uh, working on a book. Wow. I love that title, The Cocktail Contrarian. I love that. <laughs> and I am Linda Martinelli. I'm a business owner. I'm located in Texas. I am uh, a mom of four here and just had a new grandbaby in the last day. So I'm uh, absolutely thrilled and uh, in love all over again. So, uh, oh, let me also mention my husband and I, Dr. Ron Martinelli, are the host right here on America Out Loud of Talking While Married. Please join us there weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So a lot of talk in this country has been climate change. I mean, we hear it every single day and every they're making laws around it. Your governor, Gene, has uh, determined that everybody needs to have an electric car, car. And then the very next day, he tells you not to go charge your car because you don't have enough electricity. So I don't know how that's going to work out for people. Uh, in England, actually, they are paying as much or more to charge their car than they would pay for gas. So that's not working very well. For me, I'm not a climate panic person. I believe that 
the uh, the Earth changes climate from time to time. That's proven in history. We've had uh, ice ages. We've had hot ages, and everything in between. And I just I just really disagree with all of these things that they are trying to impose on the public using climate change as their uh, newest catastrophe. So I was reading an article that I was very interested to read because. I love to travel and Greenland is somewhere I want to go. And one of the stories about Greenland is that the ice sheet is about to melt away. And according to the article, it's going to be in the, your front room any day now, uh, which could be an exaggeration. But the truth is that the ice in Greenland has expanded quite a bit and it's not melting away. It's expanding. So what do you think? Um, I find it interesting. One of my favorite memes is this uh, picture of the old Time magazine covers. I was a teenager in the late 70s. And if you all recall, we were all going to die of the Ice Age. And there's the, you know, the cover of Time magazine for in, um, let me pull it up here, 73, two and 77 and one in 79 was all how to survive the coming ice age. And they were calling it the big freeze, the cooling of America. And then in the late eighties, we started to get uh, the ongoing uh, turned over into global warming. And we've got time covers in 01 and 06 and 07. And, you know, it's no longer uh, global warming, it's climate change. So the only constant is change. <laughs> regardless of, of which way it goes. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that, that has uh, always been available and continues to be available because measuring uh, anything in science is an ongoing discipline. And there's been things admitted by the uh, uh, NOAA and the other organiza uh, international organizations. If you think about the globe and the amount of landmass that's on it, and you think about getting these records of temperature changes, uh, hurricane readings, all of the different climate and other issues. Um, number one, our recording equipment has gotten better over the years, therefore we're more accurate, so therefore the numbers may be higher as a result. Populations have grown, we've gone closer to the coastlines, cl uh, higher up in the, you know, more concrete in the cities, changing uh, heat and the value of land that gets damaged when you have these catastrophic events. And so they're not taking those elements and incorporating them into these readings, which create a very kind of false leader. Additionally, and very importantly, the continent of Africa, which is, you know, kind of large, they don't have measuring equipment out there to give them an accurate reading. And you'd kind of think that the continent of Africa would be pretty important when it comes to global warming. So they've identified that saying that this is like, you know, some huge percentage of all of these numbers really can't be calculated because you're missing a huge portion of the data there. Um, and just like the hurricanes, as I mentioned, with the property values going up, there's higher numbers there. So these variables that are being used, uh, I, I reckon it to, if in the, the ecology movement is what it used to be called in the 70s and 80s. And the, the problem was that somebody wrote a book, an uh, economics book called The Green Economy, um, or the green ledge, something about the way that things that we put on the profit and loss statement, if we change that up to incorporate, instead of just looking at the cost of materials and manufacturing, 
if you also incorporate into that the cost of the waste products and what you have to do when the hot water goes into the nearby stream or uh, plumes of uh, hot, you know, smoke, uh, particle smoke going into the atmosphere. If you start quantifying that as a part of your bottom line, it changes the way we do business. And indeed, that is sustainability and that is um, environmental responsibility. And we've kind of thrown that off to the wind and you, we, we're running down this other, this other lane of, of a cap and trade and how can we make money and forcing people while John Kerry and the rest of them are running around in their private jets. And I just don't understand how people that have been around the block a few times aren't saying, you guys are just full of it. <laughs> how, how, how dare you try to turn our economy and our middle, middle class world upside down to suit this agenda and then you censor everybody who has uh, any information to the contrary it, it it just really boggles my mind help me girls <laughs> <laughs> well I you know I don't think I can help I, I'm sort of as confused by it as you are it sort of has so many echoes of what um, what happened during COVID and how sort of right all the censorship and the sort of um, the, the orthodoxies that grow up around things that weren't well understood. And, and I always feel reluctant to talk about climate change generally as a subject because I'm so out of my depth. The last time I read a, a scientific report on climate change was never. Um, and I would say that the vast majority of the people I know would, would say the same thing, who reads these things, who understands them when they do read them, unless you're sort of in that space, they're really complicated. Um, I wouldn't even know where to start. So I have to admit that I just don't know a lot about this, but what I do know is that whenever there's just, you know, everybody, every talking head on TV and every politician is telling you that the science is settled and that 99% or 97% of scientists all agree on X, you know, it's just echoes of COVID, isn't it? It's just, everybody knows this is true. Everybody agrees. You know, you haven't read anything about it. I, the talking head, probably haven't read anything about it. I really don't understand it. If I do, it's deeply scientific and, and, and complex, but I'm pretending like I'm an expert and I'm gonna tell you what you must or must not do or think. Um, I know enough to know that that just sounds wrong to me and it's just not something I can just say yes to. So I, I think it's not for me about, is there climate change? Isn't there climate change? Is it man-made? Is it some combination of man and nature? I, I, I just, I couldn't even, I don't know is the answer. But what, what you do know, Rebecca, and you just said it, and this is more important than being able to read a scientific graph or be quantitative in your analysis, right? What you do know is your gut level common sense, which tells you how can we pass a law to say that you can't have you can't produce uh, combustion engine vehicles uh, or, or purport push an economy towards a new technology when you don't even have the means and methods to, to have that running. And what I'm talking about is charging stations for these, for these vehicles and the, the ancillary problems that that, that that creates. Hey, would you want to have only electric vehicles in your garage if you lived in Florida the last couple of weeks? Right. right. I mean, what do you do? This is this is the stuff that it doesn't take a, a PhD in environmental science to say, yeah, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. You know, I kind of want to have a gas tank in the back of my truck 
that I know I can drive 500 miles, you know, without having to sit for 45 minutes. I, I, it just boggles my mind. I was talking to a friend the other day. We, I have a, a friend that, uh, that I, I know has a Tesla and she's retired and she has some money and she enjoys her vehicle very much. And she drives to uh, friends out of, out of state, you know, in Arizona or wherever, and plans her trip so that she goes to the place that has a charging station and she can stop and have a hamburger at the same time. And it's like, perfect. That's exactly what these cars are for. People who have money, who have time on their hands, who can organize their trips accordingly. But you got to get somewhere, you know, that's more than whatever, 225 miles, whatever the extent of these things are. Um, you know, you're kind of SOL and it, it, and, and none of that is really being addressed. Like, oh, it's like Nancy Pelosi passed the legislation. We'll figure out what it says later. It's like, no, <laughs> I'm not willing to turn my entire life upside down for this, for this type of a, a narrative, especially when the people that do know that live in that world, who do that research and got those educations are raising their hands saying, yeah, I don't think so. I have something else I need to say here. And they say, no, shut up. You're a racist and a bigot and a, and a whatever, right? And it's a, a, a climate denier, you know. That, yeah, you get shut down. So how can you yeah. even be, begin to go back and believe these people? Well, we have, we have to not vote for the people that are the, the climate change people like Gavin Newsom and, and so many others that, that are making us change our lives for something that is non-existent. So, just in the last few days, there have been over 500 scientific papers that were retracted because of fraud. And the, the number of articles retracted by journals uh, is tenfold higher than it was in the previous 10 years for fraudulent papers. The, the article that I read says that uh, to preserve the fiction that humans are responsible for all recent changes in the climate, it's often argued that the current temperature is the highest in 12,000 years. And then they show a chart that says it's not at all the highest in 12,000 years. And uh, that, that there is definitely a pattern of it going up and down, cold to hot, over, over the entire history of the world. So they, they've got the average near surface temperatures in the Northern Hemisphere during the past 11,000 years there. And it goes hot and it goes cold and it goes hot and it goes cold. And, and we're not even remotely in the area of it being the hottest. So... I, I just I just think that this is some way to control people. And I think it has to do with the almighty dollar, because when when you make people do things like buy these certain cars and you you then you have to build all of these electrical devices to charge the cars. What do these people do? They go and invest in them now because they know that you're going to have to buy an electric car and and they're profits are going to be skyrocketing exactly. and in my, my mind that's exactly what all of this is about it's there there is no proof that there is global warming that is man-made zero proof of that happening and and i believe the scientists that say that and my common sense tells me that and the history of looking at charts of the weather and the the heat and the cold in the world tell me that so you can't tell me different but why why we are all buying into this as though it's true and continue to vote for people that make us change our lives on something that is absolutely just not not any kind of a proven uh thing you know it was a aoc that said 
in 12 years, we, we, we'd all be underwater or something. And that certainly hasn't happened. No. And I think the pro a lot of the problem is, and this is kind of typical to conservatives and Republicans, we always pick the wrong aspect of the argument to, to beat the drum on. And it's just like Rebecca brought up. You, you don't have to be a PhD in meteorology to understand that this just doesn't make any sense from a, from a very basic market standpoint of bringing something to market when the ancillary structure, infrastructure around it isn't ready. Forget about the argument of, is it gone, it's gone up? Is it gone down? Is Obama going to be underwater? Or is Florida going to break off into the Bermuda Triangle? Forget about all of that, because that's an argument that can't be won, because everybody has their own statistical truth, right? But, but the other part of it is a legitimate uh, side of this, that that's the part that I don't get. When you have, we've seen images of the young kids in these mines in Africa, mining these rare earth minerals. The fact that we know where they're coming from, that China's gonna be controlling those batteries. That you look at your Toyota sitting in your garage right now, I got over 200,000 on my hybrid Highlander, right? And uh, it's probably gonna go another 100,000. And and then if I, if I need to, I could replace the drivetrain and probably get another, right? I mean, some of these Chevy trucks are going for 300,000 miles. But if you buy an electric vehicle, that battery is going to go out before the car does. And if that battery costs you too much to replace, more than a transmission, more than these other elements of a, of a regular, uh, you know, variable that we can actually uh, swallow because, you know, you got a car for 10 years. A lot of people have to keep cars for a long time. They don't buy them or, or uh, have the turnaround every two years um, with a trade-in or whatever. Um, what are we going to do with all those batteries? What are we going to do with all those cars that people aren't going to want to spend the money on? And this is the kind of like, lift your head up from your wallet, look down the road, and try not to think of just your stock options and where your generation and your your family is going to be, but what's good for the for the planet, for the, for the people who occupy this planet. And it's like, none of those things are on the balance sheet. And that that just really bothers me that it's not part of the conversation and that the, the conservatives and the Republicans aren't making that more of a part of it. Don't miss an episode of the Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. Subscribe to the podcast. And for the latest news and inspiration, join us back at AmericaOutloud.com. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. Often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best: freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America out loud talk radio. Well, we're back again. And I, I want to talk about something personal. In my town, 
in the last couple of days, there were two ladies in the grocery store parking lot. And one, one was an older lady and one was uh, a young mom and there were children in the vehicle. And I, I was not there and did not observe this. Had I been, I would have done something, but I wasn't. Um, but it kind of came up on my uh, little neighborhood app that people were talking about it. The ladies had a flat and they were struggling mightily with trying to change the flat with the children in the car, with the weather warm outside. And um, people, this is a very, very busy parking lot. Nobody stopped. Nobody stopped to help. People by the hundreds drove by them in the parking lot, one after the other, going in and out of the grocery store, and nobody stopped. And I, I just, it brings up to me what has happened to chivalry, what has happened to people helping each other, and I have my own theories about it. And what, what was really interesting to me is the people that responded on my little neighborhood um, app where, where people talk about things was that some of the men said, when I try to do something for a lady anymore, like open the door, they criticize me and they say that they're perfectly capable or they say that, you know, that they're woke or whatever they say. And, and so men don't want to help anymore. And the other part of me says that our moms and our families are not teaching our boys how to be gentlemen anymore and how to help ladies. And I found that the, the older gentlemen still feel like they would stop and they would help and they will open doors because that's how they were taught, but not so much the younger ones. What eventually in this case ended up happening is another lady eventually stopped when they were pretty far along and, uh, she ended up helping them, you know, finish up with, with getting that tire changed. But it just does seem to me like kind of chivalry is, is dying and, and people are not coming to help anybody. And uh, Rebecca, we're talking about New York and the crime. There was a horrific video of a woman uh, being chased on the street, on the open street with, in the broad daylight with cars going by, with people walking by, and he must have stabbed her 50 times as I watched. And people literally drove by and walked by as he's doing this on the sidewalk and nobody stopped. Nobody stopped their corner, their, I'm sorry, their car at the corner. Nobody, nobody stopped as they walked by. And I understand that that's people being fearful to get involved and also get hurt. But for heaven's sakes, um, what's happening with, with everything from small helping somebody change a tire, opening a door, to stopping when somebody is the victim of a crime? Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I wrote a column about this actually called Chivalry is Not Dead, because it really is important to me too, as the mother of both a son and a daughter. I think it's equally important for them to hear this message. And I just want to separate two issues, right? As you say, there, there's certain sort of um, just basic human decency issues about helping when people are in need and those sorts of things. And those are, those are sort of 
you know, you have to make decisions in the moment based on safety and that kind of thing. And, you know, intervening when there's a crime being committed, those kinds of things. That's one set of questions to me. And then the sort of more um, gender role related question of chivalry, which I think is gender role related and why it's so under attack and, and why I press it so much with my kids um, because I think those gender roles are critically important. I don't think we should throw them out at all. I think we should reinforce them. I expect my son to assume a certain kind of responsibility as a man in the world that I don't expect my daughter to assume. I expect men to open doors. I expect my son to pay for his first dates. I know I sound very old fashioned, but um, I think that assigning gender roles that are in quotes, old fashioned in that way, are critically important for sort of civil society and maintaining my son's sense of himself as a man in the world and all that that entails, including being a protector and a guide and 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 sort of the traditional masculine sense of, the, of that word. I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm sort of hoping to impress upon him that he shouldn't be ashamed of that. Um, it doesn't suggest um, oppression or, right, or all the things that the left suggests it suggests. It's, it's about responsibility and taking the power that you have as a man and using it responsibly and carefully and for the betterment of others, not to oppress anybody else. Um, there's no subtlety in this conversation anymore. You're either, you know, a toxic male who's, you know, opening doors and paying for women because you really hate women and think they're weak, you know, or you're some brute. Um, but that's really not what chivalry has always been about. There's an important role for it in society. I think women need it. Um, and I think men need it. And um, I, am, I am all for it. I don't let my son get out of an elevator before a woman. I think it extends to how we treat the elderly. Um, and it, it just shows up in a million different ways. And it, I, I think it really has everything to do with creating a, a civil society around us and community around us that feels um, safe and in which we honor each other for our strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I'm sorry to see it go, but I'm not giving up on it. At least my kids will be out in the world and my son will be holding the door for both of you if he ever uh, meets you at a door anywhere. There's still men who care about this, but I think they have to be encouraged and reminded um, not to fall for the line that this is some signal of male toxicity, which it is not. I, I think if we women remind men, it's women's job to remind men that uh, it's not a poisonous or bad thing at all. And it's a very good thing. And um, I think we should remind that to our girls too, who are missing out if they are offended when a man opens the door for them. I couldn't agree with you more, Rebecca. Um, I'm a little further down the line than you. My son is 22. And um, I, I, I totally agree. It, it is, it has to start in the home on the way that the, if it's a nuclear family, the way that the father treats the mother, the way that the mother treats other people as the children witness. Um, and even if it's a single, single female, it's how she allows other men to treat her. And that creates those boundaries and those expectations that the kids need to can witness throughout their lives and make their determination when they get to that certain age where the peers around them are talking tripe and they're going to start comparing it. Well, this is the way it goes on in my house, but look at how it's going on out here. You get into that. And this is where I'm at with my son. 
he's understanding now the type of women, I call them women loosely, they're young, young 20 year olds that he's dating, the, the quality and the caliber of those girls is directly related to, to their self-esteem and how they behave and, and conduct themselves. I'm trying to use my words very carefully here. I know it's a family show <laughs> um, in, in that environment. And the more what he's learning is that being that chivalrous male gets him a better caliber woman because there's an ex, they have self-esteem and an expectation of being treated a certain way. And he delivers that to them, making him feel good, making her feel good. And it's just this wonderful win-win for everybody. And it elevates everything around you when you see it, when you're out and all of those, all, all of those types of situations. Now that takes a lot of work to cultivate and, and germinate and, 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 and have that happen in, in a, in a home in the suburbs, wherever we live. Contrary to that is this very difficult situation that exists in the inner cities and in these highly violent areas where clearly um, my kids and your kids, Rebecca, are raised with this is right, this is wrong, and here's the line. And if you cross it, these are the consequences. And what's happening in these other, in these other uh, family units and is these smaller elements of society is they're losing those boundaries because the consequences are gone. And it's not only a, a problem of the parenting in those, in those areas, because I don't, I think, I think that, that that's not necessary. That's not the only thing that's going on there. You've got the DA if Johnny goes out and commits a crime and he's on the street the next day. That's that whole peer element that is speaking to those kids, no matter what mom or grandma or whoever's raising them is trying desperately to instill in them. So they're fighting a losing battle and it isn't being helped by the leadership in the, in the, in the, in the society that they live in. And so those people that are banging people over the head, yes, some of them are mentally ill and should be off the streets regardless, but a lot of them aren't. And they know in that moment that what they're doing is wrong. And they're choosing to do it anyways. Those people need to be incarcerated and be to pay their penance to society for, for, for creating those types of acts. But when society at a large is not being held accountable for that level of violence and disregard for morality, doesn't have to be on the books. You know, as a human being, that when someone's being pummeled for no reason, it's wrong. And so you've got this really serious decline it's it's uh you know it's it's uh uh it's roman-esque in its in its potential implosion right we have it has something has to be done to stop this because you'll have total anarchy on the streets so it's this multi-pronged approach but we can't just say oh it's the parents because you we can't expect these people um in, in whatever their situation is to be the only ground zero to change this huge societal downhill plunge that we're going towards. We have to come in, it takes that village. We have to come in and support all of these aspects of it. And we better do it fast because these kids growing up in that environment are gonna beget more kids. And this is, we're on like the third generation of some of these inner city um, situations where the dad was incarcerated and the kids are, are heading down the same path. We have to have the compassion 
to sit down and come up with a few ideas because they're not the left that's running these cities for the most part. And even the even the blue, uh, sorry, even the red uh, cities that are suffering from this high level of crime, they're not coming up with good ideas. And somebody's got to, you know, remember Moonstruck, that scene where Cher comes in and slaps Nicolas Cage and <laughs> says, snap out of it. It's like I, sometimes I just want to do that to everybody in America. <laughs> so I, I think the reality of those that live in the inner city is so different than uh, for me. I'm in in a rural place. And the boys here are very polite and they they say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Uh, they, they open doors, they're very, very polite. And that's how they were brought up. But the inner city is, is kind of a different world and it's a little bit more dog eat dog. And, and there seems to be a lot of broken families, not just in inner cities, but everywhere, but probably exacerbated in inner cities. And therefore, people, they, they don't have those two parents to look at who are their best examples in life of how you behave, uh, how a man treats a woman is best shown by a father and how he treats his wife uh, or the mother. So, so we have to use other ways of doing that. And we the way society has gone, you know, we, we've, we've kind of backed off of religion and we've backed off of uh, things in schools rather than teaching, you know, when, when I was in school, we, we definitely taught some manners and, and politeness and, and, and we had to act that way. And that's kind of changed now where we're teaching uh, critical race. And we're telling you that this race is better than that race. And this one's, uh, no good. I mean, it's just, it's gone kind of crazy. It all to me goes back to starting with your local elections, starting with your school boards and going all the way up to federal elections and the presidency, who you vote for, what their values and ethics really and truly are and what they're going to do. And we were talking um, moments ago, Rebecca, about Governor Hochul and Governor Hochul has done nothing about uh, is it William Bragg in in New York who has oh, yeah Alvin Bragg Alvin Bragg sorry who has you know absolutely destroyed the the system of fairness for uh, victims of crime for and for the public by letting people out on so many charges and he's not the only one they're they're all over the country these george soros funded district attorneys but governor hochel has the choice of firing him and she doesn't do it which speaks volumes to me so this this is happening in chicago it's happening in washington dc it's happening in right here in texas in austin with like i say with these george soros funded district attorneys so that matters to uh, people's perceptions of what they want to get involved in and what they don't. Um, basic manners, that to me goes back to the family. But if we can't keep our families intact, then, you know, everything breaks down little by little. And the family is so, so very important to America. The family is, is the heart and soul of any country, of any city. And the direction that we've been going is to disregard the family and 
uh, have the schools be the, the the parents. That that that's all Hitleresque to me. It's all socialism, and and it's it's the act the absolute antithesis of what we need to be doing in our country. A strong family is the one who is going to make these changes, and uh, that's that's the direction that I think that we need to go. Do I know how to get there? Nope, I really don't. <laughs> but but that's that would be the ultimate direction. Well yeah, I think you used the word elevating, and I like that word because I think that really speaks to, in terms of the, in the chivalry side of this conversation, what I want for my son. And I think for young men in particular, especially today's world, um, there's nothing more elevating than taking on responsibility, personal responsibility for yourself and for the people immediately around you. And so this idea of chivalry really speaks to me um, to that, to this idea that I want my son to feel elevated by his own behavior, right? And exactly. I want to feel that he is taking personal responsibility for the people around him as a man. And I think that will only sort of contribute to him the sense of self and then how he shows up in the world for other people. Absolutely. Well, uh, Linda, you also mentioned, you know, kind of not knowing which way to turn to fix to fix this. It's, it, uh, like we've stated, there's a lot of different sides to it, but you, um, you know, again, and I sit here in California where they're just, it's like a firecrackers going off everywhere as far as these types of things go. Uh, Newsom's got legislation out there to prevent the parents from knowing whether giving a 12 year old the ability to get a vaccination, keeping the parents out of the loop if the teachers want to take the child for appointments for uh, hormone therapy and, um, uh, and, and medical uh, appointments as well. Um, it's it's the writing is on the wall around us and we can't turn our turn our heads away because it's so ghastly we have to stare it down and take a stand um and gone are the days of being able to say oh right or left it doesn't make that big of a difference to my life because now we've seen it does and we all have to get more engaged well ladies that's a wrap one more step for womankind 